Hello and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditz, alongside me, as always, PFF Zone, Dwayne The Rock McFarlane. We are previewing day two of a pretty awesome free agency cycle. I don't know. It's March and we have a ton of NFL fantasy football to talk about. I love it. Dwayne, do you love it? I think you do. Is that a rhetorical question? <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah, of course I love it, man. I love it. We know a lot of these things won't end up mattering as much as some people think right now because there's dead news, but there's been quite a few good ones today. Yes, there have. Starting with Russell Gage to the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. Three years, $30 million with a lot of these contracts. Sometimes they're made out to be a lot more than they are. Incentives, this and that. Not the case with Gage. Apparently that is legit. $30 million, no incentives, no ifs, ands, or buts. He is being paid to go be Tom Brady's number three. Hell, maybe even number two wide receiver for as long as Chris Godwin is going to be recovering from that torn ACL MCL. It did happen later in December, but Dwayne, at a minimum, man, it's a great landing spot for Russell Gage. Someone that maybe we weren't going to trust as like a number one in a bad situation, but now most pass-happy offense in the league. The Goats back under center. And like I was saying, Goblin could be out for a period of time. If there's going to be a situation where, you know, Goblin, Evans, deservingly stay as top 15 picks and Russell Gage, or top 15 wide receivers, I should say, and Russell Gage is the guy slipping down, you know, in that low-end wide receiver three range, I think I'm in on buying. Yeah, I am too. I mean, the other thing that, the other shoe that hasn't fallen yet really is Gronk. You know, my guess is since Brady's back, Ronk is going to come back, but they've got to figure out the money. Um, so we'll have to see what happens with that. But if you don't have Gronk, right, and you've got Chris Godwin with a slow start, I mean, you really could have a strong September um, from a guy like Gage. The other thing I like with Gage, we know he's going to play in an offense that wants to pass the ball all the time. Yes, he's going to be the third or fourth option, but Brady's not afraid to go to that third or fourth option if that's what the defense is giving him. Um, it'd be better if it just stayed to three and there were not four mouths to feed in this offense. Obviously, that creates a lot of variance from week to week, but I do think this is a good fit you know, for Russell Gage. Um, the thing that was most interesting to me when I was studying the free agent class coming up you know, like, I don't know, four or five weeks ago, we put together some stuff. We had a pod on it, Ian. But the big thing that stuck out to me with Gage was really his fifth highest PFF receiving grade among the free agent receivers. And that's back when we thought Godwin was part of the class, potentially Devontae Adams. We figured he'd get tagged, but he could be part of the class. So some of those guys are off the table. So he actually moves up even further. But what I liked was the 1.96 yards per route run. Um, and then 35% targets per route run last season against man coverage. That's an elite number. Um, 2.91 yards per route run against man coverage, also an elite number. So when you look at what the Bucks are going through and not, not to try to compare Russell Gage as a comp, John Daigle, John Daigle tweeted something about, oh God, here comes the Russell Gage Antonio Brown comps. And I immediately responded to him. I'm like, I hope this isn't coming from my tweets. I didn't mean for it to be a comp, and if you took it that way, I'm completely embarrassed for myself um, because that wasn't that wasn't the point. But knowing that Antonio Brown was so involved in beating man coverage last season, um, 33% targets per route run was number one on the Buccaneers offense. I do think there's a potential fit. Again, not saying Russell Gage is Antonio Brown, but that really was his strength last year. And it makes me think that that's something that the Bucs saw. And they know that that's an element that's going to be missing from their offense. And so it's just a player that can give them, you know, that quick release, you know, get create that quick separation when you need it, you know, to really get a first down. So and I, I watched all of Russell Gage's film because it was at the time where I was really trying to study our all route data. And so he was one of the examples that I studied. So I happened to actually watch a ton of him. 
And I was really impressed. I walked away being more impressed than what I thought he was going to be. He did catch a lot of passes under coverage, but even once you discount those and you really only count those opportunities where you know he is truly singled up, whether it was in a short space or having to work more intermediate, he was also able to do that. So I think there's a lot of versatility to Russell Gage's game. And I mean, think, man, getting paired up with an anticipatory quarterback like Tom Brady that knows how to read defenses, I think it could just really unlock some things for Gage. I'm still looking, I don't know where you're going to think of me and I'm thinking still more like a wide receiver four, but could give us like that wide receiver three upside. And there could be periods in the year where he plays more like a wide receiver two, if either of the other receivers are hurt or if for some reason they don't bring back Gronk. No, I think you're spot on. Parallels to kind of what Amon Ross St. Brown, the other wide receiver that's all over the news today on fantasy <laughs> Twitter. Just in terms of like, I understand at the end of last season with the Falcons, like Ridley was out of the picture. They didn't have, you know, Zacchaeus or Christian Blake or these guys really stepping up. Cordero Patterson even hurt his ankle and he wasn't really being used as much as a receiver. So there was an argument that other than Kyle Pitts, like who the hell were they going to throw the ball to in Atlanta? But, you know, I've been showing some highlights up here for you watch, you guys watching live or on youtube and it was impressive Dwayne. we would talk every single monday about the waiver wire almost every single week russell gage was still you know low owned enough to be eligible and we'd just be gushing over the guy man these weren't everything minus the hurdle moves i think was our oh my gosh yes how did we not bring that up yet (laughs) never hurdle again at russell gage but if you use the spin move the spin move was pretty sweet he he hit the circle button a couple times (laughs) but truly like wasn't empty yards and okay if he was going to go to you know another team we had to look at him as the number one with the target problem that'd be one thing best case scenario for tampa bay i'm with you Dwayne. if i can you know take him outside the top 36 receivers that would of course be best but he has that upside and you know his bag of tricks i think he is going to be someone uh you know we've been hyping up you know some other number three wide not hyping up but the last couple of days talking about the braxton barrios barrioses of the world and stuff russell gage i'm far more confident in being a consistent fantasy factor but Dwayne, who would you pick full season russell gage or christian kirk hmm I would probably still take Christian Kirk right now because I think he has a chance to be the number one on his team. Um, although we don't always see players that walk into a situation where we think there are all these available targets all of a sudden, like really just, you know, catapult themselves to the top. So I think I would still take uh, Christian Kirk because I think that the the high end range of his outcomes is better if he could by some chance, like get to like a 25, 26, 27% target share. We know for Russell Gage, that's going to be really hard for him to do with Chris Godwin, with Mike Evans. And if Gronk comes back, you know, it's going to be something where we may see more of the up and downs, but you get these big explosion games for here, here and there. And then anytime you got one of the other guys hurt, obviously Russell Gage, you know, is going to be a player that you can probably rely on. Who knows? He might be a great player to have early in the season when he gets off to a strong start, because if Godwin's starting slow, and then you could potentially even move it. Yeah. 1,590 votes right now on that very question on my Twitter. Russell Gage, 57% right oh, now. Oh, wow, He's that's nice. Nod, uh, from the public. So Christian Kirk has been rallying nice. just a little bit, but something to keep in mind there because, yeah, to Dwayne's point, Russell Gage, it is possible for him to be the number four. How if Leonard Fournette comes back? And can I, could, yeah, go ahead. Can I say one thing? You know, so, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, and it goes to the Amon Ra St. Brown thing that you were just talking about as well. 
and you hear people, well, the only reason they got these targets is because so-and-so was hurt and this person was hurt and this person was hurt. Why didn't someone else step up in those offenses then? Well, right. And even if no one else can step up, that doesn't mean one person just automatically gets force fed. Like the receiver has to do their part. We've seen this time and time again, unlike running back where it's like, I'm literally going to turn and hand you the ball. Or if I'm throwing you the ball, it's underneath zone coverage, you know, and you got a linebacker like five, six yards away from you. It's easy to manufacture those touches for um, the running backs, for receivers, there's so much more to it and being able to actually create those opportunities for yourself. So I kind of got to chill, man. When you see players do these things, like Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, everybody's like, oh, well, it's 30% target shares just because Hawkinson and Swift are hurt. Yeah, yeah, we get it. But guess what? Most players in the league that get that kind of opportunity when their other teammates are hurt to step up and post consistent over and over 30% target share games, guess what? They can't do it. But Amon Ross St. Brown did. And I think that needs to be our bigger takeaway is seeing when a player given the opportunity does step up and actually take advantage of it. Because now, at least at a minimum, doesn't mean he's going to get 30 percent target share next year. But what it shows you is that he's capable. He actually is capable of facing NFL defenses and really demanding high level targets. And so that's the number one thing I want to know, because a lot of these receivers, we just don't know. We have no clue if that opportunity even arose. Could they actually take advantage of it? And I think people sometimes assume just because the opportunities are open at receiver that it just automatically means they could get fed 25 to 30% target share. I will admit it's a little easier at slot receiver because of the types of coverages and things that they face, but overall still to post some of the numbers these guys did, I think was, um, I think it says a lot more about their ability to play than the situation that just happened to help them out. Let's stick with the Amon Ross St. Brown topic because, you know, Dwayne, I was texting or messaging you and Nathan uh, this morning. We've been updating the PFF Fantasy Football Tracker, you know, ever since free agency started. You guys can all find that for free on PFF.com. Get the lowdown, all the deals. Uh, but, you know, I'm not used to waking up at 8, 9 a.m., Dwayne. I do like to <laughs> – a bit of a night owl, uh, you know, as, as they might say. And I wake up to see Twitter in a frenzy – over DJ Chark to the Lions. Now, I'm a supporter of DJ Chark, you know, coming back, maybe figuring out in a better situation. I had Nate List on the podcast about um, a month or two. Or I'm sorry, no, it was Ray G uh, came on here about a month ago, and he named Chark as someone that is just so dirt cheap in Dynasty, like literally outside a lot of people's top 90, maybe even 100 receivers, not the worst guy to take a flyer on. Signs with the Lions, one-year deal for $12 million. Also had them bring back Khalif Raymond for two years nine and a half million don't laugh Khalif Raymond low-key had over 500 yards last year and almost caught 50 balls could have had some more with some better throws from golf Dwayne these should be the best case signings that we ever could have hoped for for a Monroe St. Brown they added two field stretchers that are not guaranteed to be volume hogs based on their low contracts it's not like they went out there and gave someone 84 million dollars like the freaking Jaguars did none of these guys are going to be threatening a Monroe St. Brown slot snap they should be working in different areas of the field people and maybe I'm just yelling like I want like maybe we're all just yelling at like no one which I think we do sometimes and no one's really that concerned about I don't don't think you're yelling at no one in this one I I do think that overall the community is more bought in than what Twitter shows just because of the ADP of Amon Ross St. Brown, right? He's typically going in that, you know, right around 24, sometimes a little past that, sometimes a little before that. Um, So it's obvious like that actually when it comes to drafts, people are drafting Amon Ross St. Brown. It's a little more divisive on Twitter than really where his ADP's landed. I'm just saying, so, so far the Lions, 
People hopefully are aware that the Lions are not legally allowed to enter week one with Amon Ross St. Brown as the only wide receiver on their <laughs> roster. They have re-signed Josh Reynolds. They've re-signed Khalif Raymond, and they've signed DJ Chark. Yeah, they could add an early round rookie too. Free agency is not over as well. This is arguably best case so far. The people that are upset about this, who the hell were you expecting the Lions to go out there and get? Like bring Dante Moncrief, you know, back. Let's go crack into the USFL rosters. They're going to have other players on the roster. Just because they play the same position doesn't mean it's going to take away. And Dwayne, you know, you put this tweet out there, and we've talked about it uh, for a while on several editions of the podcast. But, like, you don't see players – play as well as rookies like Amon Ross St. Brown did and then just fall off a cliff. You went through with the rookie wide receivers with the PFF grade of at least 75 since 2011. Take draft capital out of it, which is the big, you know, kind of issue a lot of people have. And you struggle to find like a single dud on this list in terms of like someone that was great as a rookie and then just proceeded to suck at football or never get a chance uh, to go again. So, you know, I, I know I'm echoing a lot of what you said, but I guess – with no, I think it stands approach. true, though. I mean, it's it is what it is. I mean, it's, it's we're not saying this is, again. One stat doesn't define everything, but my litmus test for any list or any kind of threshold criteria that people use on things is I just immediately read the list. And like when I see Jamar Chase, Jalen Waddle, uh, Justin Jefferson, Chase Claypool, T. Higgins, Brandon Ayuk, A.J. Brown, Hunter Renfro, Juju Smith-Schuster, Cooper. Who's the Cooper worst Cobb. receiver? Who's the worst Cooper receiver Cobb. on this list? Yeah, Juju? Chris Godwin. Yeah, probably. And that's probably. not a slight. Juju's I mean, we don't know for sure. Receiver. Some of these guys are still young like Claypool, so they probably haven't had enough time. But if we start from the bottom, you got Doug Baldwin, A.J. Green, Keenan Allen, Jarvis Landry, Mike Evans, Odell Beckham Jr., Stephon Diggs, Tyler Lockett. And the thing I love about this particular metric is it caught some of these guys – because a lot of them are easy. You can say, well, yeah, those guys put up a lot of fantasy points, you know, in their early seasons, in their first season. So people automatically gravitated to them. But it caught other guys that didn't necessarily have a fantasy breakout, right, but then went on to have viable fantasy seasons. So, and again, we don't say this is end-all, be-all, but there's a ton of metrics you can go look at that really point to Amon Ross St. Brown being in elite company. Um, and I think this point, people are probably still holding on too much to the fact that, you know, he did not have high draft capital. And I think they look at it as, well, you had TJ Hawkinson, you had DeAndre Swift out. And I think those are viable things. I don't think either you or me are saying Amon Ross St. Brown is going to have a 35% target share next year. I don't think that. But if you told me today I had to pick the player that I think is most likely to lead the Lions in target share and have a shot at 25% or a little more than that next year, I absolutely would say that it's Amon Ross St. Brown, not TJ Hawkinson. And he is right there with kind of Michael Carter as fourth round picks that, you know, we're really talking about a difference of maybe five or 10 draft slots between somewhere in the third round where, you know, people would no longer be trying to have this conversation. I care about draft capital too, not nearly as much when the guy has proven that he is a baller. So six touchdowns over the last six games. And it's not like he was just only a PPR machine, just catching a little two yard under route because he plays in the slot a lot. So people immediately point to that, which I don't care. I'm like, What's your argument? Like, I want players to play in yes. the slot. Like, that's just – that's better. That makes things easier. It's harder to take that receiver away. So, we're, we've gotten the Sun God stuff off our chest. I'm happy we did that. Let's, let's talk about, you know, what else is going on in Detroit, though. Now, the, you got to realize, any of these other receivers, I mean, I would say Chark, based on, again, getting that $12 million potential deal in one year, he should probably be the favorite to be the number two wide receiver. With that said, I think you could f- fairly easily argue that Hawkinson and Swift could actually end up with more targets than Chark based on how Goff likes to distribute the ball. 6.8-yard average target depth, third lowest mark 
among 44 qualified quarterbacks. Tied for dead last with Big Ben Roethlisberger on the lowest percentage of passes thrown short of the first down. So I do think Chark will probably be starting on one side. I will, because Dwayne, I thought when they brought back Reynolds that he would be, you know, the other guy. And, you know, Jared Goff was, apparently he was brought back because of his chemistry with Jared Goff. Let's not forget, though, because Goff did comp a Khalif Josh Raymond. Reynolds two years in a row. Last year it was the Titans, and then they signed Julio right after. And then he's like, okay, I'll re-up with you guys, Lions, DJ Chark. <laughs> Let's not forget, though, Jared Goff did comp Khalif Raymond the Cooper Cup and then proceeded to not feed him a single reception uh, the following day. I think it was on, like... It was oh Monroe St. Brown was on his birthday when he got goose eggs. So yeah, Jared Goff was pulling some of that, but really Khalif Raymond last year, Dwayne, uh, you know, obviously wasn't as good as a Monroe or anything, but I remember you running some separation studies and kind of having Khalif like surprisingly pop it's, up yeah, on the he list. Popped up at the top. <laughs> he is not, like I know when Rap Sheet or maybe it was Ari, I forget who broke the uh, initial news, but they were kind of like, you know, wide receiver slash kick returner. He might start over Josh Reynolds with three wide receiver sets if they don't add anything else. And look, I don't think Chark is going to be this like top 40, even top 50 necessarily receiver. So he might be a fine late round dart regardless. But Dwayne, this could be a sneaky situation where they're rotating three outside receivers in an offense that we probably shouldn't be expecting much from any wide receiver other than the Sun God. Yeah, if I'm drafting today, like the only guy I'm taking, you know, the, the two guys that I would be willing to take in like the top five, six rounds are Amon Ross St. Brown. And if I'm in a tight end premium, it would be TJ Hawkinson, right? So I'd be yep. willing to take those two players. Outside of that, Chark is the player that I would want to take a stab on later just because we know he's a former second round pick. He's battled a lot of injuries. I, you know, you even wrote in the write-up, you know, today for, um, you know, our tracker over at PFF, you know, he did flash in his second season. He had a terrible rookie year. Like couldn't even get on the field. Um, then had the good sophomore campaign, but then the next two years just really battled injuries. And so I don't know that it's fair, you know, to just com to completely cast him aside. I still think that DJ Chark, to your point, can bring an element to this offense. The whole question is, can he stay healthy? And then number two, is Jared Goff willing to give him an opportunity to use his skill set? I think that's a big question. I like how, too, like the, you know, same people kind of criticize. They're saying, oh, you know, here comes DJ Chark, Amon Ra. He did as a rookie on a bad team. Like, can we look at the one year DJ Chark did anything in the wide receivers he was competing against? I mean, Chris Conley, D.D. Westbrook. Like this, uh, Marquise Lee was barely playing. Keelan Cole was on that squad. Again, not the worst case wide receivers in the entire world, I guess. Uh, with that said, you know, Chark was another one of these guys where we're not out on him, but he did produce, you know, on a team that didn't have many other places to go with the ball. All right. I think your big takeaway, yeah. Ian, though, is just real quick, like mm – -hmm. What I mean to me, this went really well for Amon Ross St. Brown. Yes, exactly. I, mean, I don't know Josh, what other receivers Reynolds, we could have hoped Khalif for. Raymond, yeah, D and DJ Chart, and, and nothing against any of those guys, but none of them. It's you don't have an Allen Robinson name, right? You don't have a name that you're just, or even a Will Fuller name that's got pedigree that we've actually seen him do it before, even in spurts before, where you're just like, you know, that that would actually be a little bit more concerning. But I think of these now they could still they could still draft someone, um, yeah. you know, but still, again, what he did in his rookie season, I think you still got to let it stand on its own. And you just got to assume that this guy's a good player. Well, but like I'd be more concerned if they had given Zay Jones a three year, twenty four million dollar deal. Like the fact that they only gave Chark like a one year prove it yeah, deal prove as it, yeah. well is a complete uh, difference maker. Let's I go agree. ahead and talk about the Jaguars situation. Uh, Dwayne, when we recorded yesterday, there were a couple moves that came in after uh, notably 
the Jaguars going back to the bank. Of course, they did give Christian Kirk 38, excuse me, $84 million. Also got 24 mil to Zay Jones over three years. And also Evan Ingram with a one-year 10 mil prove-it deal himself. So uh, awfully, you know, weird situation going on in Jacksonville. We have had, you know, some rumors floating around that LaVisca Chenault could be traded, which sure makes sense because at this point, you know, Visca, Christian Kirk, and arguably Evan Ingram, based on what we were hearing about certain teams kind of viewing him as more of a slot receiver than a tight end, you know, what are they going to do? Like stack these guys on each other's shoulders like those, you know, kids in the big trench coat or something all in the slot at the same time? So I do think, you know, moving Visca elsewhere would make sense because clearly, you know, even, you know, their GM can say all offseason, oh, we're not giving up. It's not too late on LaVisca Chenault. Money talks, and they have made that, you know, abundantly clear. So starting offense for the Jaguars now, you know, Trevor Lawrence, Travis Etienne. We'll see how James Robinson uh, recovers from the Achilles. And then Zay Jones, Marvin Jones, seemingly, Christian Kirk, and Evan Ingram. It's an improvement, Dwayne. I'm just like looking at it, and we it's don't a lot really of money tied up in media. It's a lot of money, but we don't have any idea where the ball is going to go, and we can't necessarily just trust the most money. Because if we would have done that in New England last year, for example, we would have been taking Johnu Smith and Nelson Aguilar over Hunter Henry and Kendrick Bourne. So yeah, I do think Christian Kirk, like it's 84 million. I get it. He deserves to be the favorite, but it's a situation, man, where we're not exactly sure where the ball is going to go. How do you approach this uh, pecking order in Jacksonville? And again, well, I think, it's kind of, I think yeah. it is Kirk up top, especially with the news that this goes on the block, because I think what that tells me is they want to play Kirk inside. They want to play him at, at the spot where they think that he can shine the most. Not that he can't play outside when they go to larger portion uh, personnel groups like 12 and 21. But I think you're going to see, you know, Christian Kirk on the field, you know, at all times. And I think Zay Jones will be the third receiver rotating on the field, assuming that they keep Marvin Jones Jr. But I think we're going to see a lot of 11 personnel. This is Doug Peterson. We've seen him do that, you know, in the past. Um, I think as far as Evan Ingram goes, you know, we've seen Doug Peterson really try to have that kind of uh, tight end profile in his offense as well. So I would still go with Christian Kirk first um, of the group. After that, I think it's really tough. Um, Evan Ingram's kind of who I lean to just because if you could gain a positional advantage at tight end some way and you get lucky and you hit right on that, um, that would be nice, you know, because Zay Jones, I just, I just struggle thinking how Zay Jones is really going to do much for me as far as helping differentiate my fantasy team, at least with Evan Ingram, we know he's got an athletic profile. And if he comes through, that could be a real differentiator on your team because we know every year there's only, there's only a handful of tight ends that are really worth starting every single week. And maybe not saying he will just maybe Evan Ingram could be that. Dude. Zay Jones wasn't even like playing until Henry Ruggs got the DUI. Coach John Gruden, the nicest thing you could say about Zay Jones, like in the lead up, was that he was the best conditioned player on the team. That quote stuck out to me because I was wondering <laughs> what they were still even doing with him. And yeah, he had a nice little end of end of the season. Yeah, run. he did well. He had a twenty five percent, twenty nine percent, thirty one percent, twenty five percent target share from week fifteen to eighteen. So I mean, that's pretty solid. I mean, didn't do a ton with it though. Unlike, you know, Amon Ross St. Brown. Right? I think that's the difference. I think Zay had one touchdown all year. He did catch five balls in six of his seven final games, but you had some pretty gross, like five catch, 25 yards, you know, zero touchdown lines throw in there. So just a perplexing move by the Jaguars. In regards to Marvin Jones, they could move on. They'd save $3.5 million against the cap if they uh, cut or trade him. $5.2 million in dead money, though. I mean, I don't think they necessarily need to. Not like they're exactly strapped for cash. At well, the I mean, moment. they're going to draft Justin Ross, so, I mean, they could probably 
<laughs> inevitably. Are you buying this kind of Doug Peterson talk though? Because like, oh my god, look at Doug Peterson's history with tight ends. Like, yeah, okay, the dude got to coach Travis Kelsey and Zach Ertz. I'm not that shocked that his tight ends put up pretty pretty big numbers. I think the Ingram thing is fine because he is a receiving friendly tight end who we know can you know be a borderline receiver. And okay, we have seen uh, some spare flashes from Ingram, admittedly not in a while. But if we are going to get behind Ingram, it's not really because of Doug Peterson's you know history with that. Those I, I tend to fade some yeah, of those you, coaching times. You have to fade things like that where, you know, they're just – it's because they had elite players. Um, you know, with the Zach Ertz thing, you know, I mean, I was excited about Doug Peterson there with Zach Ertz. But, I mean, a lot of it really did come down to – he was one of the best targets available on the team. And they did – and they and they were happy to feed him. Yeah. So, we'll have to see um, what happens. My guess is, like, if I just had to, like, say today – how would I project this team? Cause that's what I'm once free agency, a couple more days are done. I'm going to start on all my projections and then I'll adjust them again when the rookies come in, but it's going to be pretty much spread around. I'll have Christian Kirk as the number one target in the pecking order, but then like what's going to separate two, three and four is not going to be much. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm not going to have Christian Kirk way ahead of them, but because Christian Kirk, to be honest, like in his opportunities he's had, he's never shown that he can be a target. He's never done what, not to go back to our guy, but he's never <laughs> done what Amon Ross St. Brown did for any stretch, you know, of games. He's had some nice games here and there. He does add a vertical element to the passing game, which I think could be good um, with Trevor Lawrence. I think that's really where they struggled last year. They didn't really have anybody once Chark went down that could lift the top off of the defense. Let's talk some running back news now. J.D. McKissick to the Buffalo Bills. Big surprise here. You know, my conversations with a Washington uh, Commanders beat writer or two seemed to indicate they wanted to bring back McKissick. Nope, he is now a member of the Buffalo Bills. Two years, $7 million. Dwayne, it is looking like Antonio Gibson is finally free three down roll incoming. Now, yes, I 100% realize that the Washington Commanders are not done addressing their running back room, just like the Lions. I mean, they're not going to go in the week one with Antonio Gibson, Jarrett Patterson as the only two running backs on that roster. I'm not sure people realize just how involved J.D. McKissick was, though. Literally number two among all running backs over the past two seasons and targets behind only Alvin freaking Kamara. So I think if we, you know, had Antonio Gibson and Alvin Kamara in the same offense and Kamara left, like it'd be pretty fair to say, yeah, that's a good thing for Antonio Gibson. So everyone, you know, some people, I guess, trying to make it out to not be that big a deal. They're going to draft someone like, OK, if they do go ahead and draft someone in round two, that's not great. That's higher than Gibson was drafted. If they go out and added Tariq Cohen, that's not great either. Those things haven't happened yet. So we should be happy that the one guy that we do, the one guy in the world who we definitively know Washington will play over Gibson on pass downs is no longer on the team. Dwayne, it's great, and it arguably makes Antonio Gibson a top five running back ahead of 2022. Yeah, I think top six is definitely in his range. I mean, I I was bold. I put him at RB4, like, to begin the offseason. Again, saying that this is all based on, just like with Javante being based on Melvin Gordon being gone, but being based on the fact that we could really have J.D. McKissick gone. And I agree with you. I do not think people – really give J.D. McKissick enough credit. He was also a college receiver like Antonio Gibson and is one of the top three to four passing down backs in the NFL. Yeah, he's legit. The commanders are not going to be able to replace J.D. McKissick with that type of back. Most likely, whoever they bring in will be someone that can help spell Antonio Gibson on early downs. And maybe it's Jarrett Patterson. We don't know yet for sure, right? We know they liked him last year in camp. He kind of battled through some things. But I think whenever you look at Antonio Gibson – 
the big thing is now, like there's really no one to block that pot passing down role. And he's probably going to see 50 to 60% of the early down work. So he's going to be a near every down back with a chance to be that true elite every down back. Now, don't get it twisted. I know there were comps to CMC and all these things a couple of years ago with Antonio Gibson when Scott Turner came over as the offensive coordinator. And I think those things were blown out of proportion, right? But that gets, and that that's part of what the problem is with a player like Gibson. People get their expectations so sky high and they overdraft him too far. And then like whenever now this whole situation changes and we should be in on Antonio Gibson, <laughs> right? It's like, oh, you burned me once. You can't, right. I'm not going to let you burn me again. I don't want to get hurt guy. again. And I get it. We've all been there. Like we're, we're all, we're just humans. Like we're, we have recency bias. There's things that can make us think that. Um, but when I look at the situation, I think there's no doubt that Antonio Gibson is the receiving down back. He is not a great pass blocker, but the beauty of Washington is they, they put their backs into pass blocking situations. Um, the fifth least in the league, they want them out in passing routes. Scott Turner did the same thing in Carolina with Christian McCaffrey and even Reggie Bonifant and other guys when they would be in there. He doesn't want to keep them in there to pass block. He likes to get them quickly into the route and get the ball into their hands. So it's it's not as big of a concern in this offense. And, and other offenses, if you had Gibson playing there, it would be a bigger concern because they'll, they'll ask those guys to block 30% of the time, um, especially on passing downs. But that's not the case for the commanders, which I think is a really positive thing also for Antonio Gibson. When they have him out there, they're going to be getting him in a route son. Theoretically, you know, if you ask a running back to pass block, best case scenario, they take that guy out. They do their job. Worst case, to give up a sack. If you ask them to run around, best case, you know, the guy doesn't cover them on the blitz and you have a wide open player, you know, worst case, he gets covered and he kind of still accounts for that guy anyway. So I do love kind of Washington's general strategy with that. And I understand, you know, all you actual like football minds out there that there are a couple more uh, nuances to pass blocking. I'm not. Oh, uh, Ian, you're going back to your to your green dog. Always. Your green zone your green dog days you're like oh running back stays in i get to blitz <laughs> but dude but when you have that appeal i do know like when you have that appeal assignment uh you know because you, you you grind you freaking you get the blitz like you're ready to kill the quarterback but then you see the running back you know bailing out and it's like uh, alarm goes off in your head it's like oh shit i'm supposed to be covering that guy right now it's like every couple every year you'll see some guy just wide open on a wheel yeah. route down the sideline and you see like the lot whatever safety was you know in the flat and they were supposed to carry the wheel you see them realize it like a second late and it just doesn't matter so the more you can more options you can give your quarterback if they are able to get through them the better but specifically with Gibson. I mean, look, we did get a nice five-game sample last year without McKissick, RB6, RB36, RB4, RB18, and RB6 with pretty terrible game script throughout the way because that's what Washington was doing. And the receptions were there. We know he can do it, Dwayne. It was just pretty ridiculous looking at it, though. because yeah, 21% targets per route run last yeah. year. So even though his target share was a 10%, when you really look at when he was in a route, how often he was being targeted, um, the only problem was he just wasn't out there in the two minute offense and the long down distance that was going to McKissick. Overall, six games with JD McKissick out, and then the one game where he got the initial concussion 23 receptions, 10 games with McKissick in the lineup, just 19. Let's go, Antonio Gibson. Now, Dwayne, could this also. As someone that has already barked to all the listeners about, you know, my love for Curtis Samuel this upcoming season, be a nice boost for our guy Curtis. Because if you look at the Washington depth chart right now, Curtis Samuel is probably their number two receiving back. Yeah, that's what I would say right now. If if there was another player that had to come in and help relieve Antonio Gibson on passing downs, or for some reason Gibson was faltering, I think that it is Curtis Samuel 
they would be the one that's likely to benefit. Again, we'll have to see, like, what do they do in the draft and those sort of things. But all we can do is go on the information that we've got right now, which is why you folks got to calm down on Twitter. Let us just have fun with, like, where we are in the moment. Of course, we're not saying that, oh, my God, they're not ever going to draft another person or they're not going to sign another player. It's like, look, based on the information we have today, this is this is this would be the outlook for Antonio Gibson. This would be the outlook for Curtis Samuel. Now, on the other side of things, uh, Devin Singletary was someone that just in our kind of like we did that two and a half hour pre free agency podcast. Singletary was someone we looked at and it was just like, hey, if the Bills don't make any major additions to this team, he could be having, you know, a legit three down role as, you know, priced as an RB2, RB3 uh, might be someone to target. Might not be there anymore, Dwayne. And what's also interesting, you know this here in the free agency tracker uh, with McKissick. Last year, you look at it. I mean, this dude spent 96 total snaps in the slot or out wide. You don't, don't see many running backs do that. Austin Eckler, Naeem Hines, maybe some McCaffrey, David Johnson back in the day. They all did it. But McKissick truly, like you said, former college wide receiver, can also be doing that. So McKissick, it's not great for, uh, you know, Devin Singletary, obviously. Zach Moss at this, like, we don't need to spend time talking about Zach Moss anymore. It's 2022, people. Come on. But it's also not good for Isaiah McKenzie, Cole Beasley, potentially. It's another, it's another mouth to feed. And I think, you know, $7 million isn't a ton, but a two-year commitment for someone that we know is a good football player. All of a sudden, Dwayne, you know, the running back slot receiver rooms in Buffalo looking pretty crowded. Yeah. And I think the big thing for Singletary that we saw last year towards the end wasn't just the fact that he wasn't having to split time with Zach Moss. They weren't pulling him off the field for Matt Breeder or anyone during passing downs. And so he actually got to a point where he was actually out there for a route over 70% of the time down the stretch. And so I don't, that's going to be the big thing he's going to lose. It's McKissick's not going to take a lot of carries away from Devin Singletary. So I still think Singletary will be the first and second down back. He'll be the third down back whenever it's, you know, two yards or less to go. Then I think you're going to have McKissick come out there when they want to go into the two-minute offense or they fall behind in a game and they just know, hey, we got to go all out here throwing the ball. And then probably long down a distance, sometimes you're going to see McKissick get on the field for that. So it's just going to limit really the upside for Singletary as far as the passing game. I don't think we have to worry as much for his, for his you know, what it'll do to the run game. But we also have Josh Allen as a part of this. So now all of a sudden we know for sure you're going to have Allen, you're going to have McKissick, you're, you're going to have Singletary all involved. And who knows, like maybe Zach Moss could carve out a little bit of a role. I'm not counting on it. So that would be worst case scenario. But where I was at on Singletary is he was really locked into your point before all this, the RB2 conversation, right? If you want to call him a mid RB2, that was fine. You want to call him a low end RB2 based on volume, that was fine. But there was always the chance that he could really turn into a low end RB1 with what we were seeing last year at the end of the season with utilization and how much time he was on the field in a great offense. So we just know that that's gone now. So I think of you could call Singletary a low, a, like a low end RB two. If you want, you just know the ceiling is capped. He has to have McKissick get hurt now to truly, because again, McKissick held Antonio Gibson, a former receiver in college himself off the field on passing downs. He's going to be out there. I think the other thing that we could see with McKissick is he could work more, um, handle a lot of the stuff that, Maybe they move on from Cole Beasley and he could he potentially impact Isaiah McKenzie as well, because what's the area of the field J.D. McKissick's going to be working? It's going to be at the line of scrimmage, right behind the line of scrimmage, and then three to five yards down the field. The same places that those other players operate. So it could, they could either have all three of the guys and they kind of offset each other or each kind of cannibalize one another. Or it could be something where we could see McKissick if they move on from Beasley. 
all of a sudden we're seeing him in the backfield. We're seeing him in the slot. They could find a way to get him a lot more involved. And at that point, McKissick would become like a sneaky low end RB three in PPR formats. Happy in that backfield discussion. You mentioned Josh Allen being a part of it because look, you know, Josh Allen, I think because of how good he is as a passer, he doesn't get the, and maybe it's because of his skin color too, but no one ever talks about like Josh Allen, the same light as Jalen Hurts, Lamar Jackson, Kyler Murray, in terms of like what he brings to the table rushing. Uh, it's ridiculous. Three straight years with triple digit rush attempts. He would have easily gotten there as a rookie if he started all 16 games. Josh Allen has 31 career rushing touchdowns. Michael Vick has 36 career rushing touchdowns, man. And no, Mike Vick's a million times better than Josh Allen as a rusher. But if you look at just the rushing attempts, man, last year, Josh Allen had 122 carries. And I had it up. It's uh, not loading on me. 18.1% yeah. while that's loading of the design rushing attempts for the team. That's the third most in the NFL of any quarterback. The only two ahead of him, Jalen Hurts at 18.7% and then 18.2% for Lamar Jackson. It's wild, man. But yeah, Mike Vick's most used season on the ground was 123 rushes. Josh Allen just had 122. So different players and everything. But just from a rushing uses perspective, I know it's a different era. We are seeing Josh Allen provide a Mike Vick-esque impact on the ground. And, you know, we just got to keep that in mind when evaluating that Bills backfield. I mean, Kyle, we've seen better running backs out of Baltimore and Arizona and arguably even uh, probably not Philly, but, uh, you know, at least Mark Ingram and James Conner can get all those touchdowns. Josh Allen is the one when they get to the goal line, taking them all for himself. So just something to keep in mind there. Those are the majority of the big moves. We do still have some more stuff to go over. A lot of re-signings, though. The one unfortunate negative, you know, not unfortunate. Good job, CJ Uzama. You got paid three years, $24 million, But we now have another guy on the dreaded high-priced tight end free agency list. Look, here's kind of my initial just look at CJ Uzama, Dwayne. I don't think there's upside because we just saw him in an offense with the most efficient quarterback in the league with no defenses paying him any mind at all, put up career high numbers and still not manage to work as higher than the freaking tight end 18 on the year. And, you know, I'm not a fan of ever taking away a guy's top games and then just, you know, saying, Oh, take away these big plays. And what did he give you all year? If you wanted to be a dick and do that to CJ Uzama, you know, you'd be pretty successful because some of those multi-touchdown games that you just didn't see all that often. But generally, he's going to an objective. He's going from maybe the most efficient quarterback league to maybe the most inefficient quarterback in the league. The pecking order doesn't look all that different. I don't think he's going to be the number better than number four or number five option. The scheme is terrible. Only the Panthers targeted the tight ends less than the jets uh, last year. Hell, I don't know. We'll even have a full-time role. Ryan Griffin is still there. So you look at the only tight ends that have gotten bigger deals and changed teams and free agency since 2016, John Smith, Austin Hooper, Hunter Henry, Kobe Fleener, Trey Burton, Jimmy Graham, Jesse James, and now CJ Uzama. So, Dwayne, like Uzama, I don't think he's going to be priced as a top 15 tight end. I don't want him anyway. Yeah, I don't mind taking a shot on him late, but, and here's why he's always had an athletic profile, and now he's going to be in an offense that's going to use a lot, use a lot of play action. They want to make the run and the pass all look the same, all those things. So, there's always a chance for a tight end to really get some good looks off of play action and in mismatches with linebackers 
and safeties in space whenever they're having to worry about their run fit. So I will never say never, but I think the points you make are valid. Like we need major improvements um, from Zach Wilson. And also there are three other receiving mouths to feed. We just talked about Braxton Berrios resigning yesterday. You've already got obviously the King Elijah Moore, and you got Corey Davis, who was in this an addition last year in free agency, a former top 10 NFL pick at receiver. So there are quite a few mouths to feed in an offense that's going to be less less efficient. The only thing exciting about it is the scheme could potentially get him a little bit more involved. But I'm like you. If I had to pick today, like I'd put him third or fourth in the pecking order. But yesterday we talked about this. One of the things to watch with the Jets you know, is what kind of personnel moves do they make around tight ends? What kind of personnel moves do they make around fullback, fullbacks? Because they haven't had those pieces, which could really help them actually come out and run more 12, more 21 personnel and do things to protect Zach Wilson, set up more play action. Obviously, the defense has to play. You can't be trailing 21 to nothing like five minutes into the game. That will obviously throw all of that out the window and you're going to be stuck in 11 personnel the whole game. But I'll be interested to see, do they add another tight end? Do they do something else at fullback? And that could give us a little bit more idea of where really the Jets see their identity as an offense this season. And it helps us better understand what to do with a player like Azoma, as well as a player like Braxton Berrios. I think Corey Davis and obviously Elijah Moore, we're fine with them. They're both two, as long as they're healthy, they're, they both should be on the field at all times. Before we move on to some of the re-signings, I want to give a quick shout out to some sponsors and note that, hey, why not go invest in a PFF subscription and use code FANTASY, get 25% off, get all the locked article content, NFO Draft Guide, completely unlocked mock draft simulator, 2022 free agent rankings, fantasy rankings, all that and so much more. Guys, we're just trying to help you make money gambling, fantasy, become a smarter football fan, PFF subscription, use code FANTASY and get 25% off. Also want to give a shout out to our friends over at Manscaped today. I'm excited to announce Manscaped launched their ultra premium collection. Believe it or not, it's for your not so private parts. I'm talking about a leveled up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care care for the everyday man and covers you from head to toe. Literally, Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF. I respect the move by Manscaped before. They're just kind of worried about like your dick and all that stuff going on down there. Why ignore the rest of the body when there's money to be made there? Why as a fantasy team would we only focus on redraft when we could go give you guys dynasty, best ball, DFS goodness all year long. Manscaped PFF on the same page. One stop shop. God love it. Again, 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code PFF at manscaped.com. The power of attraction is now in a bottle thanks to Manscaped. Finally, our friends at All22 are unveiling the newest fantasy football game that hundreds of PFF employees have been playing. All22 uses weekly PFF grades as one of its main scoring components and tests your ability to build a full 53-man roster, offensive line, the big uglies included. If you've ever dreamt of sitting in an NFL front office, if you enjoy the scouting process, you're going to want to check out All22. Join the waitlist on all-22.com with nothing more than your email. If you join before the NFL draft, you'll receive a special promo code for your All22 subscription. Waitlist users will gain even more access to premium content like inaugural draft guides and season strategies, feature release announcements, and more. Be sure to follow at all22 underscore PFF on Twitter. All22, more fantasy, more football. I'm just ignoring their tagline now, Dwayne. It's my tagline. It's, it's my podcast. It's my ad read. I'm doing what I want. Anyway, back. You do you, Ian. Do Thanks, it. man. I will. 
Back to the podcast at hand. None of these remaining deals are especially shocking. You could argue that they aren't as important as the stuff we talked about, but we'd like to cover every base. Why the hell not, Dwayne? Great day to be great. The James White one, though, man, like our little, the little, we knew most likely the Patriots are going to turn things back into a three way backfield. Like we just had this glimmer of hope, though, for Ramondre Stevenson that maybe he could get 40% of the rushing attempts, take over some of the passing down duties. Now that's gone. You know, it's going to be Stevenson probably getting like 35%, 40% of the rushing attempts. Damian Harris get, you know, 45, 50%. And then you got a little bit to white, but he gets the passing down role. So it's just like, uh, you know, what do we do with this? That was the hope. A two-back committee in New England. It's not going to be the case. I was just surprised kind of looking at it, Dwayne, because when James White got, he caught six passes the first two weeks of the year, like was actually starting to jump up on the waiver wire columns like he seems to do every single season of his career, save for the Cam Newton year where they just weren't throwing the ball as much. But if you look at it for the whole year, like again, this is this is why I talk about when I think we think about upside kind of wrong in full PPR uh, fantasy. Like who would you think has the upside, the pass catching back or the guy that can score, you know, two or three goal line touchdowns, you could argue is the pass catching back, man. James White and Brandon Bolden last year combined for three top 12 finishes. Damian Harris and Ramondre Stevenson only combined for four. And that was with the Patriots having the third best point differential in the entire NFL, having a rookie quarterback. They had every reason to run the ball as much as possible last season. I think if James White is going to be just free and fancy drafts, man, he's not the worst option. They can bring back Brandon Bolden. He's not involved in the off. He's just like Matthew Slater, unless like a bunch of guys get hurt. Brandon Bolden played two total offensive snaps, you know, when James White was healthy last year. So it's unfortunate. Like Stevenson Harris, man, I am out on them if they're going to be priced anywhere near that top 24. If they're outside the top 30, then we can start to talk. I understand White's getting up there in age. You know, it's a two-year uh, $5 million deal, but only 500 k of that is actually guaranteed. So maybe he's not on the week one roster. Sure would have been a lot easier to figure out otherwise. But Dwayne, like, it's just we, – we've kind of said it over the years. I, I've heard my friends say, like, it's one – you know, oh, the Patriots, the Patriots take away the number one uh, option type of thing where I'm not so sure anyone's ever actually done the research on it, but I don't hate this particular antidote. And that's being, we don't know who's going to be a running back in New England. So just draft the cheapest one in fantasy land. That might be James White, dude. Mac Jones, you tell me you can't see a year where James White averages like five catches across 16 games. Well, we've definitely seen it before. And what's interesting, you know, we did the ADP podcast a couple of weeks ago. And we talked about the the different types of players that move at different times. That there was a couple, there were a couple of players that kind of shocked me in who they were. So I didn't really give them their own category. We didn't have time to talk about it. But one of the late season risers every year, uh, as we get closer to the season, James Wyatt was yeah. one of them. And I think it's because people like they have certain strategies that they're using, whether they're doing doing zero RB, whatever the case, and they know they need to have a few players that could just give them something. And if you're in that PPR format, those pass packing, pa- pass catching, pass packing, pass catching packs <laughs> could be the ones to give you that. And then you try to swoop in behind that, you know, and grab you some of those handcuffs or those upside players. Um, behind, you know, some of the workhorses that you talk about that may have the 1500 touches, things like that. So I think there's a way to interweave them into the plans. And typically I think that's what pushes them up the board. But yeah, man, I think if you're in a situation where also we, to your point, we could see 
his passing offense evolved. You know, Tom Brady's first year with the Patriots, and not saying that Mac Jones is Tom Brady. If you guys have heard me and Ian talk about it, like, look, there's a lot going on with Mac Jones that we got to work through. There's things we like, but there's things he's got to work through. But the bottom line being this, he's going to be another year into the league, and we saw Tom Brady really move away from, you know, New England playing a more conservative approach his first year to all of a sudden they were passing more. I remember, like, that first week they came out and were, like, spreading the patient. They were spreading the Steelers out. All those, like, Jerry Porter and all the – or Joey Porter and all those guys, like, just wanting to blitz all the time. And they are just freaking dinking and dunking, hitting all this stuff underneath with Deion Branch and all these different guys. So, yeah, I think there is an opportunity that this offense could evolve – and if that happens and we see more of the passing game get involved and also the, the, the Patriots could take a step back in defense, you know, this year, you know, we'll see what happens. They always seem to be able to figure out how to overcome some of these corners and things that they lose. But if that happens and the game scripts get a little more out of hand and they've got to score more points, that's another avenue for James White. I think Stevenson is still my favorite guy to draft. I think he's still in a probably still in an OK, like sweet spot right now. But if, if he continues to push up in ADP as we get closer to the season, which can happen with second-year backs, then it's going to be tougher. Like, you remember the Colts game when everyone and their mother was on Stevenson. And it, it, there was reason to be fine with that. And it, it, but the game got out of hand. The Colts got up big. Yeah. And he got game scripted off without Damian Harris. It was Brandon Bolden instead of James White, who they did <laughs> – kind of just swap their roles. But, like, come on, we know the Patriots trust James White more on passing downs than Brandon Bolden. That's why he's playing ahead when all else is equal. But, yeah, I can't overstate that one point enough about just the Patriots might not be as dominant uh, next year. Again, third highest point differential in the league. They were killing teams and obviously just running the hell out of the ball uh, in the second half. So keep in mind, looking ahead to 2022, not trying to reflect 2021. Another veteran running back that, you know, maybe not the biggest uh, news, but it does, I think, impact the committee at hand. Tevin Coleman back to the Jets on a one-year deal. So it's really tough kind of looking at the Michael Carter game log, Dwayne, to I think get like a super relevant split out of it because you had him starting off the year getting some action but not necessarily taking over. I mean, Tevin Coleman was continuing to start, continuing to get the early down work. Ty Johnson was in here or there, but it wasn't until Coleman got hurt that we actually saw, you know, Carter start to ramp up his usage. But yeah, then Carter seven, eight, week seven and eight was nice. Yeah. Yeah. This, this was nice. Coleman's hurt. Uh, but then even when Coleman comes back at the end of the year, Carter keeps a starting job. Week 16, I think, is like our just single best hope for Michael Carter. He plays 74% of the snaps, lead early down back with 16 carries, and also had three targets. I think if we could have seen week 16 through 18 with a healthy Tevin Coleman and a healthy Michael Carter and Carter just doing his thing, working as the three down back, everyone would be a lot, you know, be feeling better about the situation what happened the next week i mean carter was ready to have a huge game rather inexplicably against the buccaneers i mean freaking 63 yards on four touches gets injured on the eighth snap of the game concussion manages to play in week 18 understandably the jets weren't gonna just beat him to the wolves fresh off a concussion in a meaningless game so i do think that carter is gonna be the league guy Dwayne coleman matters but on a scale of like, you know, 2021 Marlon Mack to 2021 Carlos Hyde, I think we can safely assume Coleman's a little bit closer than Mack in that I don't really think he's going to be yeah. taking Carter off the field. I think this is a positive. I yes, think this is a positive exactly. for Michael Carter is that they brought back Coleman, not someone else that could really give him more of a competition. He's still going to have to make it through the draft without them using someone, you know, drafting someone and say the top three rounds, which a lot of backs we could say that about. Right. Um, but I think Carter 
Elijah Mitchell, those are guys that, you know, where it pops into my mind the most because they're fourth and fifth round picks, you know, getting taken later. So I think when you look at a guy like Carter, I feel really good about him right now today. And so I think you should rank him, you know, appropriately, but he definitely has some risk involved, you know, if they go a different direction in the draft. But as far as right now, Tevin Coleman, that makes me excited about Michael Carter. Preston Williams back to Dolphins. One-year deal. He'll be the wide receiver four behind Jalen Waddle, Devontae Parker, and Cedric Wilson. Not too much to really talk about there. And also, Trent, we mentioned him yesterday. He is back making more money. Chase Daniel re-signed with the Chargers. I believe it's like $2.5 million over one year. Um, $41 million this man has earned in his career. How many starts? Five. Five career starts, two wins, three losses, 41 million. The real life Alex Moran, Kings State Kings. Shout out to you, Chase Daniel. Uh, Farrell Brown, tight end, back to the Texans. Not just something to monitor, similar to, you know, Indianapolis and Tennessee. We just have these teams that last year used three and four tight ends by the week. And because of that, it kind of canceled them all out in fantasy land. We are hoping Brevin Jordan could maybe, you know, break out of that committee ahead of next year. Obviously, he's not going to be the only tight end on the roster. Just something to keep in mind. We're trying to talk to you guys about every single signing, but wouldn't take away too much from that at the moment. Dwayne, I think that about wraps things up. I'm checking right now to see if anything has has been popping while we've been talking and i've been looking i don't don't see anything other than the cowboys being interested in von miller since the randy gregory thing didn't work out Dwayne, uh you you and i are unfortunately unfortunately cowboys fans you've been alive long enough to actually see some success i've i've seen two maybe three uh total playoff wins in my young life we were feeling pretty good about the cowboys even uh telling nathan uh so and then all of a sudden uh randy gregory (laughs) Besides not to come. It sounded like they were trying to offset some language after he had already agreed to yes. something. So I, I, I don't know, man. Like, go, yeah. go get paid. I don't, I don't really, I'm not going to think less. Yeah. Of something. I, I don't, I don't blame him either. Apparently the, the, the Broncos thought they had a done deal and then Jerry came in and did the Jerry thing and thought they got, <laughs> you know, um, Gregory to, to stay and then ended up going back the other way. These things happen. I mean, we've seen it a lot, like recently. I, I, the biggest one I remember um, is the, the bar one from uh, yeah. Minnesota when he had gone to the Jets. Anthony and uh, Frank Gore with the like, Eagles too. Frank Gore was one too. Yeah, yeah. So these things happen sometimes, but you know when it's when it's your team you're rooting for. Like I really wanted Randy Gregory back, but it is what it is. We'll see what happens. And this is why, like, just this whole period is so ridiculous. We are so freaking starved for news that we all just can't collectively chill until this stuff is official. Um, but you know what? I'm part of the problem, Dwayne. So I'm not trying to throw anyone on the bus. It's just. Just a fact of the matter. Uh, make sure you guys, you know, pff.com. We have our fantasy football free agency tracker. When you're on, the, you know, I'll, I'll share my screen again and show you guys exactly uh, where it is because Dwayne, myself, and Nathan are working awfully hard on it, getting the sucker updated. I would say usually within 15 to 30 minutes of any relevant fantasy news uh, with the guys. So if you go to pff.com and you look on the left under what's hot, you can see our fantasy football free agency tracker, where if you go into it, we have every single every single move, quarterback, running back, wide receiver, tight end, ordered from basically, you know, the timing of everything going on. We have just basically what went down, the impacted players, and the biggest overall takeaway for the offense. So, yeah, we're on the podcast talking about everything, too. We also got that shit in writing in case you can't catch the listens. So, for Dwayne, I'm Ian. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. And until next time, take care, everybody. Thank you.